I don't know about you, but I know that uh, growing up, at least uh, on somewhat of a regular basis, maybe not every year, but we would use that third of the uh, historical creeds in the church, the Athanasian Creed. And it would take us seven minutes to do that alone. And when you're done, you're going to say, what? There's a little truth to that, isn't there? Because the concept of the Trinity is not an easy one for us to grasp. In fact, to some extent in our world today, it seems to me that most would either just rather ignore it or they, you know, kind of just pass it off saying, well, that's a matter for theologians to deal with. That's a matter for pastors to deal with. It doesn't really matter or apply to me. But I'd like to challenge you this morning. As the Lord, in a sense, has been challenging me this week as I again have come to be reading these texts and spending time in prayer, that we need to understand that it truly matters who our God is, how he has revealed himself, and how he is still working in our lives here and now and will continue to do so. There's that uh, phrase in our gospel reading that maybe gets a little bit at the heart of where many of us are, and not just we who are sitting here today, but in the Christian church beyond, but where Nicodemus says, how can this be? Now, I'll see at that point, he is responding to Jesus' words about, you know, unless you are reborn again, but I think those words could apply to us when we hear and we profess that our God is triune and we're like, come on, how could this be? So this morning the Lord calls us to explore it. The Trinity, it does matter. It makes a difference whether a person says, you know what, I believe in God or some kind of power, but, you know, God is God and he's going to take care of all of us and all ways are equal. Just follow him. Just say there's a God and you'll be okay. Now, I know for those of you sitting here this morning, those words sound very foreign because that's not your approach, that's not your foundation, that's not where you're coming from, but let's be honest, to many in this world, that is exactly where they're coming from. It matters whether you say that or you say, I believe in a God who is the creator of all things. I believe in a God who continues to provide for his creation and his people. I believe in a God who loved us so much that he offered his own son as a redeemer and as a savior and then gave us his spirit to abide with us and to call us into that relationship of faith. The truth is, it does matter what we believe about God, and it makes a difference in the way that you and I live. The idea that people with their wisdom and creations like, let me give you an example, computers, because aren't we always getting smarter and better every day? That's what many believe. 
We used to hear it, it was the, the humanist who would say, you know, just give us time because every day we're getting smarter and we're getting closer to figuring this out and basically perfecting ourselves. That is the way much of the world still views things, even if they don't put it in words that way. They take those things like that, like intelligence, like you know technology, and in a sense, they put them in the place of God. Or at least they feel like they don't need to be accountable to some God or higher power, as some might want to refer to him as. And this has profound implications. It affects not only our relationship with God himself, but in how we treat or we mistreat one another. It affects our morals and our values. It affects where we find meaning and joy. And the lack of true understanding and acceptance of who God is leads to not only the pain and the sin in the world, but the belief that no God or a God who is remote and uncaring is all that there is. It makes a difference what we believe about God. We believe that God cares about the world, and we believe that he did something special about that. That's why we have here connected this reading from John chapter 3. He cared so much about the world that he would restore us in that broken relationship, that he would provide his son to be our redeemer, and that we, he would call us into that relationship through the work of his Holy Spirit. But today, I want to focus on something more than just trying to rehash and to explain to you the Holy Trinity. Because the truth is, it's one of those areas that we as pastors need to just be honest with you. We can't really explain it. It's just impossible to fully explain it. But to experience it, to recognize it, that we can do. But today, I want to focus in on an element of our reading for Trinity Sunday from the text in Isaiah. Our God, my dear friends, is holy. I want to just say this as I just spoke that word. Did you notice even the way I said it? Maybe it was not just like holy. Holy. It's different. Maybe I, I remember, um, um, I guess it was Dr. Vells at the seminary and the way that he was trying to teach us the, the significance and the meaning here and, and what these, you know, uh, seraphim were saying and, and how the whole earth literally shook with it. Holy, holy, holy. To get this sense in the Hebrew and the context and the way in which this is written, our God is different than all other all other creation, all other gods. Our God is distinct. Our God is separate. You know, we use this word holy all the time. We use it in prayers. We use it in our worship. We use it in the way that we approach him. We even use it in our creeds. It shows up all over the place. But what does it mean for God to be holy? 
behind the concept of holiness is separation. The fact is, is God is separate from us and has separated himself from us because of our sin. And God cannot bear sin. God cannot bear evil. And so he is separate. He is holy. And if he is separated from us who are unholy, he remains holy, pure, righteous, without sin. To say God is holy is to say that he is cut off from everything, therefore, that is evil or sinful. Consider these scriptures, Exodus 15, verse 11. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And then Samuel says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And the, Old Test- the New Testament then continues to also emphasize the very nature of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 15, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Light is without sin. Darkness is equated with sin and evil. And then Revelation chapter 15, Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. For me to recognize that God is holy is to recognize the very heart of his nature. Recognizing God's holiness helps us to understand him and what we can expect. We can expect him to be perfect, to be without sin, to be unwavering, to be just, to be faithful, to be loving. In his perfect holiness, he meets our every need. He comes to us. And that's hard to imagine. When we know ourselves so well, we know our unholiness, and yet God comes to us. He comes to us as Father, Creator. He comes to us as Son, our Redeemer and our Savior. He comes to us as Spirit, the one who calls us and makes us holy. And it teaches us, therefore, how we ought to approach Him. But have you noticed this? I may be wrong, but I would have to say in general, it seems that most people, followers of the Lord included, have lost any real sense or reverence that he is holy. Look how we approach him. Not that he doesn't want a personal, intimate relationship with each of his children. We approach him with such, you know, kind of lightness and, you know, well, whatever, and, well, you know, here I am. Isn't this good enough? We've lost any sense of reverence or awe in approaching him or in worshiping him. When we look at ourselves... Who are we to approach a holy God? Remember Isaiah's words that were read for you? 
When this vision of God came to him, listen again. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Woe is me. I have to tell you, I can't read those words, by the way, without thinking of the great Lutheran theologian, and maybe you didn't know that he was Lutheran, but Dana Garvey from Saturday Night Live, or if you ever watch with your children or grandchildren the movie Wayne's World, where the phrase that kind of was repeated through the movie was, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. In the movie, it was kind of a hilarious line, but when I stand here before the altar of God, when I stand before the cross and I remember indeed my Lord suffering and death on my place, and all I can do is see myself and say, Lord, I'm not worthy. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm not saying you're any different than I, but I live amongst the people of unclean lips lips I'm not worthy well oi is me you probably heard that word before but oi is the hebrew word for woe woe is me for i am a man of unclean lips no we're not worthy we're tainted by sin and therefore god is separated from us but get this amazingly he comes and he allows us to approach him god through the working of the spirit and his word calls us out of our unholiness and he allows us to approach him he calls us to himself in love leviticus chapter 11 verse 44 and 45 i am the lord your god consecrate yourselves and be holy because i am holy do not make for yourselves yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. And again in Leviticus 19 verse 2, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And that continues through the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. I think we need to take those words to heart. I think I need to take those words to heart. So often we want to just say to ourselves, you know, I just can't. This is how I am. But the Lord says right here, in all you do, be holy. Be like me. Let me wrap up this message with two practical applications. What will it mean if we begin to take God's holiness seriously? Number one, when we grasp God's holiness, we will be moved to wholehearted worship. Consider, 
That's what happened to Isaiah when this vision of God came to him. That's what happened to Job when the Lord finished his interrogation of him. Holiness leads to worship. It leads us to run, understand who he is and who we are, our need and his provision. And it leads us to want to be in his presence. Second, when God's holiness grabs hold of us, we will respond wholeheartedly with obedience. It seems that this should follow naturally, right? Let me suggest that wholehearted submission, will what it will look like. There'll be new respect for God. There'll be a new drive to please Him. There'll be a new attention giving to living life His way. New fear of God's judgment. New love for one another. New hunger for God's Word. New hatred for sin. New humility. New emphasis on the cross of Christ. New desire to serve the Lord. New life filled with worship. When God's holiness becomes a reality to us, we will never be the same again. It's what holds some people back from following Him. They like just how they are. They don't want to be changed. They think they can just go on living like they are, but the truth is we cannot stand before, recognize and honor our holy God if we will not allow ourselves to be changed by the working of the Spirit and the Word of God itself. We will never be the same. God's holiness is that which makes God God, and in a sense, our holiness is what makes us true, truly or uniquely Christian. To speak of an unholy Christian is ultimately an oxymoron. It's like saying jumbo shrimp. Unholy Christian? What do we receive in the waters of our baptism as we celebrated last week with three individuals? What do we receive as the Lord promises us that in our baptism we are taken into death with Christ and we are raised to new life? We are clothed in the righteousness, the holiness of Christ as we are promised in Romans 3 and in 1 Corinthians. We are no longer the same when His holiness becomes a reality to us. One other bit of good news. It really isn't impossible to be holy. Well, not perfectly yet. But you understand the work of the Holy Spirit who we celebrated last week came? The sanctifier, the one who makes us holy, the one who calls us to follow the Lord himself, the one who causes us to submit ourselves under him and his ways in every area and every aspect of our lives. Romans 3 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. My dear friends, let us with great reverence and awe come before our holy God.
Let us worship him completely, not only when we are here together, but in every aspect of every day of our lives as we recognize that he is indeed our creator, our provider. He is indeed our savior and our redeemer. He is our sanctifier, the one who has called us to faith and keeps us in that one true faith. Our God is holy. Amen.